What is going on, Summit Chasers, and welcome to another episode of the Summit Chasers podcast. If you're watching this, excuse the hair. We just went for a long hike this morning. Uh, but today we have Leanne Weimer on the show. She is a marketing expert, and she's the host of the podcast, Marketing, where she focuses heavily on marketing strategy. Now, the word strategy gets thrown around a lot, but then there's really no actual strategy to put into place, just some goals, maybe a few tactics. So we talk the difference between a good marketing strategy and a bad marketing strategy. And then we go into some of the, what the real secret is behind building a trusted brand. So sit back, get your notebooks out, grab some maybe green tea and a couple blueberry muffins and enjoy the show. Love it when I have individuals who are masters at what they do, especially in something that I'm not, and clearly I'm not. Uh, but I have, is it Le Leanne Dalweimer? Exactly. Leanne Dalweimer, you're the host of the Marketing podcast. Sure am. Beautiful. The science of marketing uh, and a marketing strategy expert. I've looked at a lot of her stuff, a lot of her posts. Uh, she has a lot of great stuff in her podcast. It's great. So I'm very excited to be able to have her on and share some of her infinite wisdom around marketing, marketing strategy versus tactics like we were talking about before I hit record. Uh, but Leanne, I'll take it over to you. Tell everybody a little bit about yourself and how you became an expert in marketing strategy. Oh, wow. Well, good morning. Thank you so much for having me on. My name is Leanne Dalweimer, like you said. And the way that I look at marketing is the same way I look at our health, our human body, and I look at it from a holistic, it's a system within system within systems point of view. And when you can take a step back and understand the function and the of the thing that you're operating in, whether it's a business, whether a certain industry, then you can really start to take it apart. And I love to investigate things. So maybe we could call me a marketing strategist. Maybe we could call me a detective. I'm okay with both. <laughs> um, so what I do is I work for small to medium businesses and I generally help them understand if I do this, then is that the right next step? What new things should I try? How can I help build something um, that will generate revenue instead of just costing us money, time, and effort? Um, where is the places where we could hit harder and where are the places where we should just pass for now? Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's a lot of the, the value that I provide. Um, Somewhere in there is an answer to your question. No, that's that was great. There's a lot of answers in there. And that actually was a good segue into kind of my first question, which is, and it, it spins off of when individual business owners or, you know, marketing departments in, in whatever, whether they're in big, big corporations or in small businesses, they, the struggle is where to start. Like, where do we focus first? Where do we pour resources into first? Right? So. How do you find, like, where do you go about when you want to be the detective? Where, where, where do you start? Like, let's find out what's working and not working now. How do you kind of be that detective? Yeah, absolutely. The first place I start is with the ideal customer. If you do not have a well-defined target that you are aiming for, like, we'll just call them your favorite people. We'll, we'll drop the jargon. We'll drop the ICPs. We'll drop the personas. If you don't have a good match, as if you are a business Tinder then you aren't going anywhere fast. Um, you need to know who your people are and then everything works backwards from them and forwards from you and you meet somewhere in the middle. So if your people that are your match 
only hang out on uh, Instagram because you're business to consumer or if they only hang out on YouTube looking how to do their job and LinkedIn, then then those are two platforms that you interact with them on, which can help define how you execute your strategy. But your strategy is defined earlier with who are your people? What are you solving for them? And those two huge foundational facts can be the hardest to define or the easiest. And they evolve. They aren't they aren't static. So you, you a lot of people get really hung up on, well, today it's these people, but I really want to like grow up market or I want this or or maybe they think that because their thing that they found and works for them, that it works for everybody. We can't have it for everybody. Um, you have to be very clear on who you are for and who you are not for. Um, and that's really where your strategy starts because from there, you you do blend it together for what your personality of your brand and business are. And you you meet that happy medium of what words you're going to say, um, what types of places are you going to say it in, and where does it go, and for what purpose. No, that's, that's great advice. Where would you start? So let's say... You're you're a business and you've you've got to this point. You're surviving and you're just on you're just on referrals, right? So you don't necessarily have a great idea of what you know that ideal you got, you know like the avatar. This is the perfect person that I want to work with and that will ha- can buy our product. Has the problem that we solve, sort of thing. But if you don't have that data yet, where do you where do you start to get that data? It really depends on the size, right? If you are more of a solopreneur. Let's say that you are more of a freelancer and you're like, I want to grow this and I want to start to add people under me and subcontractors and things like that. Then you have to look at not just like who who you've been working with in the past, but you have to look at what your strengths are and what the brand's strengths are and who cares the most about those. Because that it goes back to the customer. If the if you can't find someone who has demand for what you supply, basic economics say you're not going anywhere. Um, and that can be tricky. So ways to do that that are more like tangible are to look at your previously existing customers and talk to them. Be like, what attracted you to me? You should already be doing this. If you're getting referrals from people, you should already have a simple Google form or type form or whatever free survey platform that says, what did you like best? What problem did I solve for you? Would you refer me to someone else? What kinds of, you know, like a testimonial gathering free form is just a no brainer that everyone should do immediately. Um, and you can look at the, like, you can look for trends and what they say. You know, if everyone says, I came to you because you you gave me tough love or, you know, I came to you because I really needed someone to educate me and hold my hand through the process. Or, you know, I came to you because I have this type of business in this vertical. And and it's almost like looking at your own resume. You're looking for those transferable skills. And so you look for the transferable skills from what your previously existing people came to you for and trying to pull out trends from that. And then you look at your own strengths because demand and supply and you you look at what's happening in the larger market at hand. So it's almost as if you're starting in the macro level situation, which is the economy, mm-hmm. and then you're going all the way down to the micro level, which is how you interact with others. That's beautiful. 
the problem that I think a lot of people have with that, those that when they do those, like some of them, will, they have the reviews um, or they have that email that goes out like, hey, how did we do? Here's a few questions. If you fill this out, you know, we'll give you whatever, 5% off, whatever it is. They even give incentives. They give out Walmart and Starbucks cards for it. But then when they get the information, they almost like, I don't know if it's like an ego thing. I think some of it's definitely an ego thing where they're like, okay, that's not what we do. They're just complaining about this, right? We, we were just had an off day. But to actually find a way, not just to collect the information, but then have a process afterwards to utilize that information, have a process to get the data from it and then make adjustments based on that. And I think a lot of them, I think a lot of people who do that, they don't take it as seriously because they're like, well, this isn't what we want to do, or they just don't understand. They don't think their customer understands, but the customers, I won't say always right, but the customer most time is, is right, right? Feelings are facts. Yeah. Um, there's a saying, and, and I'm not trying to call anyone out on being mean, but if you encounter eight mean people, or we're using the kitty language here, if you encounter eight mean people, one after another after another throughout the day, maybe you're the mean person. And you have to be open to being wrong. That is the number one thing that is your roadblock or a gateway to success. If you can be wrong and say and figure it out and be self-aware enough to re like pivot and return and resolve it, that is going to get you way further than clinging to being quote unquote right. And so if you are, I, I've, I've actually mentored people who were like, yeah, this is what I'm doing today, but like, I know I'm attracting this type of client, but that's just not what I want to do. And my advice to that person was, well, then that's great. You have a list of things that you don't want to do, which is just as important as a list of things you do want to do, because you sure as heck can you make sure you're not attracting more of those people. So it turns into part of your strategy when you can make yeses and nos lists. And, um, Sometimes it's just not that deep. If you don't want to do it, no one's making you. It's your business. You can adjust if you want to. I mean, you have to make the right decisions and tactically, right? What's going to keep the business afloat. But I think, I mean, that's a great point too, is having a list of don't do's and a list of what you should be doing um, or can be doing. That's just as important, right? Is to keep, keep you focused. What's uh? so when you're deciding, because there's so many tactics out there. I mean, like there's the SEO, there's ads, Google ads, Facebook ads, Instagram ads, TikTok ads, content marketing, YouTube, it's all over the place. What, and it's really hard for people to prioritize. What are some parameters that maybe, okay, we're, we're going to diversify some of our marketing tactics that we're using. How do I, how do I pick which one to focus on and where, where do I dump my resources? Yeah, Absolutely. The last thing you want to do is let's say that you are in a vertical where it's not online. Your your people are almost never like they're not in the email communication system. They're not they're they're very face to face. They're very, you know, um hands hands to the earth kind of industries. Uh, then don't don't market online. They're not there. So mm -hmm. it, it goes back to where your people are. Where are they spending the most time? What are they doing when they're in those places? What what use are they coming there for it to answer? The the great thing is is that there are huge massive amounts of people adopting platforms like YouTube or search engine or things like that. So it, it supersedes it to some extent, but it wouldn't 
be the top priority. The top priority is where do the people that you most want to find, where are they? And um, you can actually, if you aren't sure for yourself, you you could Google it. Um, and, and so that's there. But then you want to look at how much money do you need and how fast do you need it? Do you, are you, um, you know, there's that zero to one or like that growth pain point where you have enough stuff in place, but you have a threshold on how much more business you can take. And you don't want to do something to flood yourself for a short-term win and then not be able to sustain it for the long-term. And now you've um, degraded the experience for your current customers. Where this would happen a lot would be in the fitness vertical when small studios would have a group on and all of a sudden there would be some like heavily discounted, like just influx flood of people and they had no way to per like protect their current customers from getting spots in the classes and then you know it just goes to a mess so where you have to play the what if game you know what if this goes right what if this goes wrong what if and you have to like be able to list like five to ten what ifs about each potential scenario and be okay with the majority of them because none of them are going to be perfect they're all going to have you know either like they're going to have trade-offs if you need money today and you are trying to have explosive growth, there are things you should be doing in the background to a small extent, but you don't want to go like full boron. So, you know, typically things that um, people are tempted to do just to get those short wins because they really want to grow and they're like, yeah, this is my time, is they want to just jump into paid ads. And where this goes right is that you get to be introduced to a bunch of new people. Where it goes wrong is if they click on the ad and they're like, oh, I'm a little bit curious and they want to go find out more about you and you don't have any website, you don't have any reviews or testimonials, you don't have any of the support material. So the first priority you should do is just get a base level of support material and then you should embark on finding your people where they're at, where you can get the most impressions for the lowest cost. Whether and then there's things that you you just like you got to decide is this the direction I'm going in is this where my people really are is this how they get information and what are my strengths and where where do what's the personality of the brand there is no one blanket right answer for everyone and anyone who says that there is is objectively wrong I mean and I love that advice is having that foundational reviews a, a website that um, speaks to your brand speaks to what you do people don't you don't want people to go to your website and be like uh do they do are they fitness do they is it dance is it whatever it is like it should be you that they're finding and there shouldn't really be any ambiguity at that point so that's really great advice as far as what to start i think a lot of people like they said they want to rush it they don't want to do that hard stuff they don't want to ask people for reviews asking like especially in that space if you're in brick and mortar um, in person uh, asking somebody like a great customer or a great client, hey, do you mind? Like, got twenty seconds. I got to ask you a couple questions. You, you know, you seem in good spirits right now. Do you mind? And people don't want to do that, but all that stuff is so important. It's all proof, proof of concept, right? People want to be able to look at your stuff and be like, feel safe. Okay, this is a good decision. They want to feel like if I do this, I'm going to be taken care of. If I do this, I can get this result. There's other people that have gone through it and gotten the result. It's really, really great advice. Now, there was something that you had said in there. This kind of goes along with your, uh, you feel like you're a detective a lot of times. And it's determining, 
again, kind of what platform or tactic to utilize next is identifying not just where they're hanging out, but it's identifying where are they taking the actions that I want them to take now. So, I mean, you could say my clientele or my, my avatar hangs out on YouTube. Well, so do 3 billion, 4 billion. I don't know how many people are on YouTube now, but so do 4 billion other people. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to take the actions that you want right now. And it could be you just want them to watch your stuff because you want, you know, trust and, you know, build an audience so then you can monetize it later. But if you need money now, you need to go where they're buying. So how do you initially make that dissertion between those two? Where, where, where am I just branding, playing the long game? And where am I now, like, getting? Advertising. Just ads. It, it's it's a little bit of it's a, it depends right how many salespeople do you have what is are you local are you global it's it's so many complicated things um it's either cold outreach it's either events it's either advertising you know there's so many motions that you can make and it really just once again depends on the type of business and the strengths and you know where what what the people are um, ways where you could get somebody into a, um, a, a buying journey sooner. You could kind of like get that relationship closer and bring it in. Um, for example, let's do events. I love events. I think that you could have a small event. You can feel a little bit extra, not too much investment necessarily, but you can make it a good time and you can then develop closer relationships with the people who are now more deeply recognizable with you and turn it into more. Um, and I'm referring to more in-person events for brick and mortars. Um, virtual events are their own thing, which still do, but to a lesser extent, because it's it's person to screen instead of like physical body to physical body. Um, so in a physical sense, an event, like um, let's say you have a brick and mortar and you have a, uh, you know, small like Series. You can have a speaker. I love having speakers. It's one of the easiest ones. You you bring in a local expert. They invite their friends. You have your people. You have your local footprint that you're trying to get more market share in. You do a little bit of outbound by you know walking around, inviting people to their face. You do you maybe you get a mailing list, which is pretty expensive. Not where I usually recommend to start, but it works for some people. Um, I just caveat i have to say expect less than a one percent return on a mailing okay like really really low um mm -hmm. results there um but walking around inviting people you just made a friend regardless of if they show up to your event or not um or you know there's there or evites there, there's ways to to use many avenues to get somebody into an event and then use that event to demonstrate your value proposition to your customers and then Make sure that you have the systems and processes in place to then follow up after the event and continue building that relationship with someone. Um, it's like how when we all first were in our teens, we may have gone to a party to go make new friends. Um, you know, it's it's more mature and please, you know, be responsible as adults um, or whatever age you are. Uh, but. It, it it's it's part of how people work and it, it can be very effective if you're the right type of personality and the right type of brand. Um, if your brand is more introverted and more chill, we'll call it, um, a little bit more reserved, an event may not be as effective. 
-hmm. And it just goes back to what would work for you. In that case, then maybe a webinar or a professional building or maybe joining a commerce uh, group or maybe doing more of a sales focus instead of uh, a GTM kind of motion uh, might be where you want to put more effort. It It's how the people that you're trying to attack attract typically respond. And this is where you got to just get some numbers in and and look for trends. There's a common theme now that we're, we're kind of, I feel like you're, you're hitting on. And one is you, you always go back to understanding your strengths and weaknesses and then understanding and being really, really clear on your, your message. Because like you said, if you're, if your brand message is like, you're more laid back, you, you right. You're, you cater more to the, you know, the people that, you know, aren't about the hustle and bustle sort of thing, then maybe, you know, an event where you have a DJ maybe isn't the right way to go. Right. But if you are, if you're really out there, you're, you know, type A or one of those hard hitting like work, work, work kind of like then that, that's your message, then then cater your strategy to that. that will highlight that strength. And then the second one is don't be lazy <laughs> is what I'm getting. A lot of people don't want to do a lot of this work up front. I mean, and that's hard building your network, talking to people face to face. Kids like the younger when I say kids, I'm like thinking like 27 and younger sort of thing. Uh, they they don't want to do that kind of work. They don't want to build their network in that way. They want to put out ads. They want to just do things on a screen, uh, and then they don't want to they don't want to get their brand message right. Like they don't want to put in the work because that that takes a lot of introspective reiteration over and over again to kind of get it even to like an MVP. So when you can start putting it out there in the world, and then getting all those things like like we said the interviews, the websites, the reviews, all that kind of stuff. Um, in the background, getting all that stuff set up. So just play to your strengths, know who you are and don't be lazy. You can't be lazy. Um, if you're going to be lazy, you got to be smart. Um, you got to be like crystal ball clear on what shortcuts you're taking and what your expected return on it is. There's a, there's the, the hardest working people are often lazy because they cut out the baloney. We're we're putting some kid gloves on my language today. You're welcome. They're cutting out the baloney because you have to be very, very like laser focused. And and it's not just that you have to work hard, but you have to be laser focused. And if you're not willing, if you're gonna be real with yourself, you're gonna be like, Man, I am not trying to be out here meeting a hundred people a day. Like that's just not my vibe. Okay, cool. No one's gonna make you. Then what is it? You know, are you going to write 100 pieces of content or pay someone else to write 100 pieces of content? Are you going to have ads on all these platforms? Are you going to have someone else be the face of your brand? It, you you have to, at some point, say, like, I'm not going to do it, but I will sure as heck pay someone else to do it. Because everything costs either time, money, or effort. Most of the time, it costs all three. It will almost always cost some mixture of the three. It's just which ones are you willing to sacrifice? I love it. But it's kind of a good segue into what's the difference between a good marketing strategy and what's the difference between a bad and a bad marketing strategy? Like you, you kind of just alluded to, I think, parts of it, right, is all the pieces that are put together, do they flow and do they complement each other or are they hitting each other, bouncing off of each other, sending you in different directions? So what... What would you what would you say, or maybe it's something that, that you've seen, commonalities that you've seen between good and, and bad strategies? A lot of companies have bad strategies. What does those look like? And then good, what do those look like? Yeah. The biggest indicator of whether a strategy is good or bad actually is the how you do it. 
It's not necessarily the what it is. It's the how you do it. If you do it in a way where you are alienating your customers because you make it all about you, people see through it. They see right smacking through it. You will not get what you're after. Um, if you're spending, let's say, like you're you're taking a tactic. Let's say we're coming back to ads because they are just so in demand in a down market because people want the like, well, if I spend this, then I for sure will get this. That's yeah. not a promise anyways. But if you put a bunch of ads out and they use language that doesn't reflect your customer or they are very clearly not delivering anything of value or they're very much just like, hey, look at me. Give me your money. People are going to be like, no, like I, I, what? If, if you can't communicate what benefit you deliver to the people and why they should. And you can't have good copywriting, good conversion writing. Or if you think that you're doing marketing and you just make it sound like super salesy, people are like, they're not, they see through it. It's transparent. They don't want it. If you think you can just go and have chat GPT, write all of your ads for you. We're not there yet. We're close, but we're not there yet. It's basically people like think having they a three-year-old write your stuff for you. You have to supervise it. Um, so kind of taking a couple steps back to the original question, um, how can you tell a good strategy from a bad strategy? And, and there's the cohesiveness and the brand support. So people tend to think of branding as just being fonts and colors. Branding is the personality of your brand that is executed in every interaction or touch that a customer or employee has with your organization, regardless of size. So Leanne is a brand, how I interacted as a guest on this podcast today needs to be reflected consistently throughout everything that I put out there as, as Leanne, the brand, if Leanne, the brand has an off day, people are forgiving. We know people are human, right? But if all of a sudden I changed my whole vibe and, you know, right now I'm pretty like chill, pretty conservative. If I come out and all of a sudden I'm like, um, I don't know, like hardcore heavy metal looking, you would be like, is that the same person? You would be confused. You wouldn't know what to expect. Or if all of a sudden I was like very rude and abrasive, you'd be like, oh, that's not what I thought I was getting. So that can happen in your emails. That can happen in your ads. That can happen in your social content. That can happen all over the place. And you need to put some systems in place and clearly define like your brand branding to to be consistent throughout the whole thing so it goes back to it's not necessarily the what it's the how if you aren't reiterating the part that matters to your customer the value prop in a way that you've defined as being your way to do it then it then it's going to fall to pieces so a good marketing strategy will build closer relationships with your customers a good marketing strategy will be um, flexible enough to pivot or to adjust, but not so flexible that you can't tell what, what's happening here. Um, a good marketing strategy is integrated throughout your operational processes, your sales processes, and even your backend stuff because it it has to be like – it just has to be consistent. Otherwise, things are going to fall through the cracks and it'll disrupt what you're trying to accomplish. Now, once again, not calling for per perfection, 
not calling for. It's always this. It's never that. But you really got to like put on your, your grown up pants and say that this is what it is um, and be willing to take information, data from the results and then adjust reasonably from there. I will pause instead of getting on my like, what is a good data driven decision soapbox? I'm gonna write that down so we come back to it. Yeah, that there's a soapbox there. That's good. And I want to want to dive into that soapbox. But there was a really uh, a lesson that I, I don't want to say, I mean, it's, it's obviously extremely important, but it's it's been kind of a theme as of recently, which is it's consistency, congruency, like, and you made a, a really good point, which was there needs to be consistency through your from your brand message from the top of the funnel down to completing your service or you know providing your product or whatever it is and then that even goes down to like you said if you came on here and you were completely out of character to what you usually represent yourself as people would be like is she changing things is she still doing what she's doing does she provide the same service should i still be thinking about working with her like they ask a lot of and you, that's the last thing you want is people to doubt that con uh, congruency, but it's the consistency from your marketing message, your brand message, all the way down throughout your company. But then it's also your personal core values or how you personally carry yourself and then how the business operates as the business owner, right? That's where it's even more important. Obviously, still, even if you're a manager or a marketing manager or CMO or something like that, it needs to be it's better if it's consistent. You're going to be, you're going to pass the beer test with your colleagues, right? But how you carry yourself it's so important especially if you're a small business owner into the has to be consistent to the core values of the company uh so how how congruent does that really need to be because i think that there, there's, there'll be some questions along well i don't want to have to put on this facade i don't want to play this character all the time right how do people how would you balance that right like if you Again, you, if you're out in public and you're putting on these events, you don't want to have to try to put on another mask and be somebody completely different. So where do you kind of draw that line? And what are some advice you have to people to, to balance that? Um, well, let's neurodivergency aside. If you have to wear a mask for it and you have to like really up and pretend and make yourself into a big character and that's not intentional, like in a mascot sort of sense. Maybe you got to rethink that, man. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe that's not it because people, you, you mentioned passing the beer test. People are smart and, and even when they aren't necessarily looking for like glitches in the matrix, you know, any of that stuff, even when they, they aren't in search of it, we are hardwired to have this guard up of you know natural predators and threats right mm -hmm. so we're we're like organically designed to understand if something isn't matching up and we may not always be able to explain why it makes us uncomfortable but it does and so that's a big reason why i like preach transparency and authenticity is because either you got to be willing to put in a heck of a lot of effort to constantly be on on like you're playing a role like an actor or actress and that's okay that's that's okay it just you, you have to be willing to do that or you have to be willing to be as is and you know i think that we're all striving to be the best version of ourselves and it comes with having to have the confidence that who we are as is is good enough 
and that's that's a hard pill to swallow and and you know you should continue to improve yourself and look for ways that you can can do that but it's 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 neither or either you're going to play a role and you're got to be committed to playing that role and doing a bit and and that's that it's just like your mascot like your you know uh a sports league you know thing in a costume or you know you're a character on a tv show you got to be doing one or the other maybe take some improv classes that's up to you i mean if you're communicating if you have to run a lot of meetings which as a business owner ceo whatever it is you do improv classes are actually very good for that like when i started speaking i did a couple improv classes i learned more in those 45 maybe hour and a half than I did reading any communication books or watching any YouTube videos. It's very difficult. So I know you're, you're, you're maybe we're partially joking, but actually that's a great idea. Toastmasters. I mean, that's do great. It, it, yeah. it can't hurt, right? Like you <laughs> might as well. Absolutely. Um, I mean, your, your ability to communicate as a leader. I mean, that's so, especially when you're finding that brand message and you're trying to communicate it, learning how to be an effective communicator. That's probably cause you could be a 10, you could be a 10 out of 10 smart, you could be 10 out of, you could have a 10 out of 10 strategy, but if you communicate at a three, people are hearing you at a three, right? You're perceived as a three. Absolutely. And this was something that I was like, man, I feel like I'm getting underestimated a lot. What do I need to do differently? Mm-hmm. And it was, it, part of it is putting myself out there and communicating. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I recently did, sorry, this is a tangent, but I'm doing it anyways. Um, I recently had a guest on my podcast who is a conversion copywriter. And either on the podcast or before I said to her, you and me, we could be equally smart. We could be equally irrelevant. Does not matter one single cent because you know what? You are better at communicating your value. You will win every time, hands down. Not even a race. If mm-hmm. I can't at least meet you at your level of communicating, it's just, it's going to go nowhere. Absolutely. And to take that a step further, like like we were talking about, like if you're putting on events, or you're just trying to network in general, you got other events, you're putting on your own event, whatever it is, understanding that you're communicating 100% of the time. To your point, you're on a podcast. If I don't present myself consistently to the brand message, even if you're just sitting there, you're communicating in some way, right? Does she, mm-hmm. you know, like if you're, you want to have a background that looks nice, like you're, you look like you're in a clean room, right? If it was all messy and there's clothes everywhere, I mean, that would be a you're not saying anything, but you're still communicating something. So it's understanding yeah. that too. So there's, if you want to be an effective communicator, consistent communicator, to your point, again, there's, you got to improve other facets of your life as well. You have to improve everything because everything has to be consistent. But I love that. I want to get back into that soapbox though. I haven't forgot about that, Leanne, which was data-driven decision-making. And I think a lot of people, when they hear that, they're probably like, I kind of have an, I know what those three words are. But when it comes to marketing, making decisions that combine both the data and, you know, if you have some experience, intuition, but I just want to, t- I want you to take it from here. I want to see where this goes. Yeah. Let me, let me take a sip of my coffee and get ready. Oh. <laughs> I'm right there with you. It's a soapbox, right? <clears throat> okay. All right. Here's what I have to say is that people get analytics automatically that they have access to from their socials, from their website, from their CRM, or just their revenue numbers. And what people want to do is they have an idea in their head and they want to find rationalization for it. And they have a gut intuition of what they want to do. And they want to find something that says, yeah, that's a great idea. Of course you do. That's natural. But where data-driven decisions come from is understanding that 
those pieces of objective data that you are trying to assign a value to, you got to be willing to be wrong. You got to be willing to say, actually, I thought that if we did this, our revenue would go up this amount. It did not. And instead of you being like, oh, well, it's just because of blah, blah, blah. You have to be like, oh, maybe that actually was a bad choice. How do I fix this? Or you you have to um, think to yourself, um, a lot of times people want to like say, oh, well, it didn't work because we didn't get enough money fast enough. Did you give it enough time? Did you give it enough repetition? Did you give algorithms enough time to learn? Did you, um, you know, and there's this like upstream downstream kind of way that the impact of your decisions goes. And sometimes plucking one piece of data out of the middle can be a huge error. And so that's where I'm saying data-driven decisions. But what I really mean is comprehensive decisions based on facts that are not necessarily the ones that are your bias. And so, you know, it comes back to if you have, let's say that you have 10 customers, that's your bandwidth, that's where your business is at. You've now interviewed your 10 customers like we talked about earlier in this episode. You're like, yeah, I'm on fire. Well, 10 people isn't a market size investigation. They are a great starting point for you to make decisions off of based on past successes, but they are no guarantee of future success. They are just these reps, just like playing the lottery. You know, you you were you had this one opportunity. It could have gone this way or that way. It went that way. If you flip a coin, doesn't mean you're going to get heads again. It just means that you're going to flip a coin. So it it is a powerful place to have information that you then can base some decisions off of. But it is not enough until it is statistically significant, which depends on, you know, the market size and blah, blah, blah. It's really nerdy. Sorry, guys. But um, it's it's got to be enough data. It's got to be enough uh, reps. It's got to be sufficiently sized for you to take it for face value. And even then, you got to be suspicious. So you got to play that back to that what if game. What if this is telling me this? What if this is telling me this? What if? And you got to really investigate the different ways that that could have been influenced and then be willing to be wrong and and be willing to prove against each other the different ways. So another way to think about this is that if, if you're a scientist and you have a hypothesis, you're going through the scientific method, you're trying to only have one variable, singular variable that you're testing at a time. And where data-driven strategies kind of fall to pieces is identifying which thing it is that you're actually testing and making sure that you're only testing that one thing. That could be, um, and usually that's on a smaller scale, not like I'm testing email. You know, I've sent out a thousand emails and none of them worked. Well, were they supposed to? Like, what, what do you mean worked? Like, how did you, what variable does that even describe? You have to get crystal clear again on what it is that you are testing what it is that you expect the data to give you results for, and then making sure that that data isn't just pumping up your ego and that you are really able to be like, mm, you know, this could actually mean a five different things. Well, that 
I love what you just said there is really deciding when you're doing these tests, doing these experiments, really identifying and prescribing what is a pass, what is a fail, right? And really having that really clearly defined because, and, and then not getting lost in the vanity metrics because God knows there's a lot of those, right? You're using these make it sound like we're really successful. Like if you're a startup, we raise this much money. Therefore, that means our evaluation is this. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be long-term successful. We got this many views on a, on a video. That doesn't necessarily mean that it turned into whatever your outcome you want. People didn't, you know, doesn't mean that people um, submitted to your newsletter, your mailing list. It doesn't mean that they clicked on the ad. It doesn't mean that they had any buying intent whatsoever. So really clearly defining what a pass fail is. But my favorite, lesson that we hit on is biases is if you have we have whether and this is ego kind of i think a lot of it goes back to ego we implement a strategy or a tactic right and we maybe you're, you're a cmo or you're a marketing director or whatever it is or your business owner and you told your investors you told your ceo no this is going to work this is what's going to help us do this right this is what i'm expecting to happen right so you have that so you're so locked in you're so married to that result and what, what that test is going to tell you. And then you read the data. It, it's really interesting. Everybody, you can have 10 people read the same data set and you'll have 10 different perceptions of what the data is telling you. Right. So have you, what experience do you have with that? Like, how do you, how do you identify a, okay, I have this bias. And then how do you get out of that? Or what would, what would your advice be to them if to get out of that, that mindset? Um, oof, that's hard. I, where, where I've seen, it go wrong is not enough uh, channel expertise. Mm. Um, so I've seen the most reoccurring ones are going to be people who are kind of a couple levels away from being in the platform or in the the weeds, the trenches mm. of whatever it is that's being measured, and that they then make assumptions about what the data means, and that's usually where the errors to occur. So I would. I usually tend to defer to the person with the greatest channel or tactic expertise that has spent the most time in the weeds doing it. If you, within reason, there are plenty of vendors that will say things to you just to be renewed. Um, so, you know, caveat, right? Um, you You need to find someone you trust and you have to have a base level of understanding. And I'm not saying that everyone needs to be an expert on all things, but you got to understand basics. Um, and then trusting the person that you said that you are going to trust. Because if you're always looking over your shoulder and you're always like, oh, I can't trust you, I can't trust you, then then find someone else that you do trust. Because they are going to be there watching the trends. They're going to be the ones that say, oh, you know, like we saw that this ad performed different than this ad. And that's really weird because that's never happened before. And, you know, it could be a glitch because, you know, there was an algorithm change and all of a sudden now this button, you know, is is double hitting. So it's not that you saw 200% growth. It's that we know that that was actually an indication of something breaking on the back end. So you got to trust the people that are closest to it, that have that knowledge and that deep channel expertise, even if you don't. That was great advice with the whole the vendor, because a lot of times they'll feed you, they'll read the data in a way, or they'll 
won't obviously this is a pain point that you've identified <laughs> judging by your face if you're listening to this she she made a sour face when i you know identifying the vendor and them giving you only the data that they want to give you so that you will renew their services how do you what would be your advice when you're um when you're done coughing it's okay happens to the best of us to identify okay this vendor's giving me information obviously this is probably having something on your team or you doing enough research to have a baseline understanding of okay but it could also mean this sort of thing so how do you identify when you're current when you're initially vetting a vendor to okay they're they're going to give me the right information or that they they don't have their own interests in top of mind I'm trying to give you some time it's been a rough 2024 um so how do you find a vendor that you trust that you know is feeding you the truth can be one of the biggest pain points of vetting vendors and the reason why you have referrals is the same reason why your vendor has referrals. And if you are just starting from scratch, you know no one and know nothing and you can't, you can't, you know, you don't have anyone that can recommend you to, your network just doesn't support that type of referral to you, then you start to look for the things that, that matter most to you, which is going to be transparency, review, social proof. You're going to want to meet with them and see if they they match in an interview, how you feel with each other. And then you're going to want to safeguard. You got to safeguard. When I'm the vendor, I set things up so that there is a monthly contract that renews every 30 days and ends with 30-day notice with an initial term that allows for it to be a bad match on either end. And when you look at how someone does business, you find indicators of how good or bad they are at it. Unless they are a large platform, and even then, you know, there's some safeguards where they'll give you a free trial or they'll give you a, a test period or they'll, you, you want to look for people that are so confident and so sure that they're doing things the right way that they know that you're not going to quit, but they want you to feel safe and let you out if it's a wrong fit. Because the good ones will actually also want to not have problem clients. And you could be the problem client they don't know yet because trust goes both ways. Mm -hmm. So that's that's one of those like it's the how, not the what. Um, not all like let's say you want to hire a social media manager. Not all social media managers are influencers. They don't want to. They work all day doing stuff to build your brand. They don't want to build their own brand. They want to go off into the field and twirl. Who knows? What does it matter? Right? They just don't want to keep working. They don't want to be their own product. Mm -hmm. So looking at whether or not they're good at social media for themselves, not, not relevant. What is relevant is the results they've gotten for other people, the testimonials they have to the fact, the way that they talk to you and interact with you, and then how they do business. Are they really willing to you know, promise you things that they can't reasonably promise. Um, so that's a red flag. Most vendors that know what they're doing don't make promises. If someone is spamming you saying, I promise you 10 leads at like $5,000. No, red flag. Don't do it. You know, um, same with SEO, same with most of these things, unless they're like a commission-based salesperson. That's the only way it might even possibly be relevant. Social media, for sure, should not be promising you closed deals. You have to understand enough of what it is that you're hiring for 
where it fits into your funnel and where it fits into funnels in general and buying behaviors and then understanding what a reasonable expectation is and then looking for someone who adequately and transparently promises what they can and can't do, what time frame they can and can't do it in and answers your questions in a way that you like to be talked to and then allows you an out if it's not a good fit for either of you. That's all great advice. One other one, I, I had a couple of clients who had, they had a, a fractional CMOs and, and I think one had a, a, an outside marketing agency that was working with them and they didn't have control over any of their content. They left it all under their control. Like only the, only that fractional and only that agency had access to their, to their content, to the strategy. They didn't, I don't even think they had access to see the data of the outcomes that they were getting from their paid, uh, from the paid Google search. And then they found out that uh, they dumped $600,000 into this Google ad campaign and Facebook ad campaign. And they're all the leads that came in weren't even in their geo and they wasted 600. I mean, maybe one of them landed. So they, I mean, they, they still wasted 500 or $600,000. But when you do bring these people in, like having that, like you said, having that open transparency and not offering promises, because right? you can't yeah. guarantee anything. It's, I mean, in, in really anything in life, but especially in marketing, when things A are changing so fast and B, when you're initially figuring things out, there's so much testing and measuring. There we go. I got the thumbs up. Uh, that's, uh, you, you just can't guarantee those things, but you can, but again, the transparency, the authenticity, the honesty, and then obviously backing that up with, with reviews, just doing your due diligence, really. I mean, it's a common theme, doing your due diligence when you're bringing on a vendor, don't just, Hey, you look, you have a nice website. And that's a great point too, going against the eight old adage, don't trust the skinny chef just because they don't have a great social media presence themselves doesn't mean that they're not great at what they do. That's not the basis of your decision. shouldn't be the basis of your decision. Yeah. Like, just face um, value. One thing that you, you mentioned in there, I kind of want to reiterate is that it takes work to have vendors just because you have a vendor and just because you're offloading something to someone else doesn't mean that you are divorced from the process and that you will not have to do any work anymore in that bucket at all. You, there's a fine line, and sometimes it's the same line, where you'll be operating in a place where it takes just as much effort to manage that vendor as it would have been to do yourself. The difference is, is that once you have that vendor onboarded, and that you guys are working things out and getting things ramped up, is that you will be able to scale that in the future because it's not you. That is, that is the truth about working with vendors that people often ignore is that in marketing, you should you should not be so divorced from your marketing vendors that you're not talking with them weekly, that you're not like in, involved. You, you got to be involved when it comes to the marketing of your brand. No, that's a super great point. You bring somebody in and then all of a sudden you're divorced of it. That's your message. That's how you're being portrayed to the world. I mean, a big part of it, right? Why, would you, why would you be divorced from it? And then it's more like... I mean, take this for what you will, but I think if you want to have a long, sustaining, growing, scaling business, a lot of that, to your point, should be eventually in-house at some point. At least the management of it should be in-house because at that yeah. point, when, when you're growing and scaling, you, again, you, you might need to make a sharp pivot, right? And then that all of a sudden that vendor's not, maybe they're not, not a great fit anymore. And I have to start over again with another vendor. 
and that, and then you have to go through this vetting process and then you're not as clear on your message now. Cause you made the pivot. It's just, it's, it's, it's tough. So if you can bring that, like you said, hire people that you trust, because again, this is how you're being perceived to the world. You need to trust them unequivocally. So that, that hiring process is super, super important. And the development of them is super important. Keeping them happy. That's, that's one thing with, uh, I noticed with, a, again, they bring in marketing, marketing directors or creatives, right? And then they manage them as if they're a sales rep. They manage them as if they're a customer service representative. Like you need to, you can't manage them like that. You can't manage creatives like that. They need more room. If you keep them to a tight little process and they can't work outside of those bounds, they can't be creative and you can't utilize their skills that you hired them for. Yeah. It's, yeah, and it's it's the jobs to be done, right? So jobs to be done in review is the idea that you are people do things for an outcome that they're trying to get the outcome of, not necessarily the how, what, why, well, the why. They're they're doing it for the why. They want this, you know. Um, and so if if you're hiring a creative for the job of being creative, you gotta just that's you want something cool as the output you gotta you gotta let them do something cool for the output because you're not the one that you hired to do it if you want to be the one that does it then do it um and um the last place where i see that especially and it comes back to being like separated out is that marketing needs to be like you should not have a marketer that stays in their lane and I, I say that with love because it's it's back to the your brand is everything that that a customer interacts with and touches. If you're having problems operationally, your marketers are going to hear about it afterwards. And all you're going to do by promising the wrong thing. So let's say that you have a shipping delay and people are, you know, putting out messages saying, we're so great. We give you overnight shipping on all of your channels or your ads or anywhere. And, and that's what they're really playing up as your value proposition. But now you have the shipping delay. All you're doing is paying money to piss off bigger groups of people. So you got to tell your marketers what's happening operationally so that they can then message it and massage it and, and communicate it to the people that it impacts ex- externally to your, your company in a way that is still favorable to you. While being transparent, like we're not liars, we're just communicators. No, and that's amazing advice. I mean, that kind of goes back to the consistency model, right? Like it should be consistent throughout the entire organization from the marketing down and then from customer service, client, client fulfillment up as well. It's almost like in those kind of situations, that was a great example of, hey, we have this problem. And then you should be so, the communication chain should be so smooth and so congruent between the, you know, the, the f- foundations or the uh, systems and processes in your business and the other departments to the marketing so that they can almost be, okay, I hear the problem. This is how we're going to communicate it to the world now. Cause yeah. the way you just communicated, it made it sound really scary. I'm going to make it seem like this, or I'm going to portray it in this. And if you want to be honest, right. I'm not saying to go out and be some, you know, Hollywood stars, PR, uh, right <laughs> writer like she, she's not on drugs she was just she was just tired that day 
Um, yeah, she just took a nap while driving. Um, exactly. <laughs> but you want you want that consistency and then that open communication. So that's you know another reason why you know, the long play should always be to have at least the management of it in in house and be and not be divorced of it. Yeah, absolutely. Marketing is your partner. They are not um, on an island. And so what, and, and it's not just for, you know, the what ifs, the bad situations. When you have someone in-house that is aware of everything that's going on, they're also aware of the future. They're also aware of the roadmap. They're also aware of what your intention is six months, nine months, 12 months, two years down the road. And they're helping you build that bridge to that vision. When you have a vendor, you can't expect all your vendors to be as invested in that long-term vision as A, you are, or B, someone within the company. And you don't always want to disclose that information to your vendors because you don't know who else they're working for. So when you have someone in-house, you have such a great like tool and method and your in-house people aren't just um, necessarily a partner or a puppeteer is that they are a an advocate for you. They are a, a guide. They are a, a we're going to leave all the cliche phrases of unicorns and gurus and ninjas. But at the same time, they are so pivotal to your success when you have someone really good in that position that then they can keep what they need to keep confidential but still execute with that in mind. And vendors, you should not expect that of them. That is not realistic. They are they are more, um, the phrase that someone else used recently was mercenary. They're more mercenary than partner. And, mm -hmm. and that's okay. That's just the, the system in which you're operating. When you have external vendors, they are external. So that's great advice. And uh, I kind of want to end it. I don't want to end it here, but I want to get to this point. How do you make, how do you know when to make that switch? Or how do you know when to make that investment from, okay, we have a, we, we hired on a vendor right? We have the, the strategy, right? We kind of have the processes to now we can bring somebody in to manage it, emulate it, and then take that on. How do you know when to make that, that move of bringing somebody in to build that department in-house? That's so hard. There is no yeah. right answer. There's, there's, if you do it, I, I'm a marketer. I'm very biased. I think that you should do it earlier rather than later. Um, is that you should hire somebody First, you're going to probably start off with a bunch of vendors, and that's fine, as long as you have the bandwidth to manage them. Mm -hmm. At some point, it's just going to be too painful, and you're going to be, have to look at your opportunity cost. It's your business. What are you good at? Are you good at marketing? Would you rather spend your day at doing the marketing stuff and outsource this other stuff? Where is, where is on the, the spectrum of things, where do your preferences lie? And then, you know, what, what can you reasonably pay? You know, how much profit can you give um to this overhead because and and it's it's not when i say it like that it makes it sound like you're just spending cash this is an investment you know a good marketer is an investment because they will get you 800 percent return on your ads they will get you you know like they will they will make your money back but you got to be willing to put your money where your mouth is and it's got to be within your preferences of security and and how you spend your day understanding that you are letting go a little bit to that person to let them have some autonomy to do that for you mm -hmm. so it's personal growth it's business growth and it's 
it's maturity. Um, you, you can't, if you bring someone on too early and you don't have work enough work for them, what are you paying them to do? Honestly, if, if you are still deciding what your product is exactly, you know, that might be a little soon, but if you know that this is exactly our product or, you know, Hey, this is what I think our product is, but I need some help. There's all sorts of different types of marketers that are really good at different stages of companies and different needs of what each of those company needs. And so it's just finding the right fit for your unique situation um, and preferences. I really wish I had more like cookie cutter black and white things to give, but it's, it's very fluid because you know what, sadly, and I don't think that this is right um, as a first choice, but you can always fire people. If it's like, it's just, it sucks. It doesn't feel good for anyone. No one goes into a situation with that expectation, but if it's really that bad, you don't, you aren't required to, to keep doing it. You can pivot. It's not your first choice. It should not be your first choice, but it's, you're, you're, you're not getting married the way that people try to say, that you're marrying people like within the business world. We love to use this analogy because it's so familiar. Um, but it's just, you, you, you gotta be committed enough to where you'll give it a year. Be that committed at minimum, I would say. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. It, there's a few things that we, again, we're always finding kind of consistencies in a lot of, a lot of these advice and a lot of these categories. And one is, and this is an exercise that we do with our clients is we, they need to have, as the business owner or CEO, whatever it is, define clearly define you what your role, what are the capacities that your role should entail? And a lot of it, again, especially as a small business owner or medium-sized business owner, what are you most passionate about? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? And then what do you just dislike doing? Super simple four questions to answer, but a lot of times there's you'll see intersecting points. And if you're really passionate and you're fairly competent in marketing, Okay, maybe keep it because if you're passionate about it, you're more likely to do it. You're more likely to get better at it, and then you're more likely to find somebody you know later down the road who's really good at it because you you're competent at it. But let's say you're good at it, but you don't like doing it. You're probably going to avoid it. You're going to make short-sighted decisions to get it off your plate. And then if you're bad at it and you don't like to do it, that's an easy easy answer. But really defining where your competencies are and your passions are, I think that that's super important. And then I can't remember the other point. Oh. Uh, the outcome. So when you're hiring for this role, clearly define the outcome you're trying to achieve. Are you trying to bring somebody into, we don't even have a brand message yet. We need somebody to come in who's built brands and understands how to message these things and can can really workshop this and, and you know help us really put our message out there and create a brand for us. Or do we need somebody to come in? Maybe we have that, or maybe we're not ready for that yet. We need somebody to come in and we, we just need leads. <laughs> Get me leads. And a lot of times yeah. you can go for an aggregator or that's more of a short-sighted decision, but you know, as an aggregator or other vendors for that. But if you're trying to hire somebody, what is the outcome that you want them to achieve? And then you're going to be a lot more pointed on who you're hiring and then how you're vetting them as well. So those are two really great lessons or really good focuses. I think when you're starting that I've taken up a ton of your time, Leanne, I really, I could, I could keep talking to you. This has been great. Um, I, I appreciate it. I have, there is one question though, that I always end all these podcasts on. And for you, Leanne, other than not being sick anymore in 20, what is the next summit that you are chasing? Um, I, I, I am secretly chasing very many summits and I feel like we should always have summits that we are chasing ourselves. If you do not have a stretch goal 
or a BHAG or whatever you want to call it. What are you doing, man? Life is going to happen. Like, go for it. Um, I am chasing the summit of not just professional development, but professional diversification. So in 2024, I'm hoping to offer not just myself as an employee, but more of Leanne um, courses or things that I can share with the world to help others be better or partnerships, um, but mostly my podcast. I am hoping to grow my Market G podcast to be uh, a more thorough media resource uh, where I have more content and just more more resources to help people think through their marketing strategies and problems. Um, I think 2024 is going to be a great year for all of us with a lot of hope and intentionality. And and maybe 2024, the summit is just weathering the storm and that's okay. Um, it's going to be quite a year, mm, I'm sure. It's going to be quite a year. There's a lot of things happening. But BHAG, that's one of my favorite coin terms, big, hairy, audacious goal. Uh, summit that you're chasing again what you said stretch you're capable of a lot more than you think you are and the difference in the decisions that you have to make to achieve a stretch goal to push yourself is a lot more pointed it's a lot more specific it's a lot more driving than if I just want to get 10% better this year you could be doing the exact same thing you're doing right now and get 10% better. Your business could grow by 10% by doing the same thing you're doing right now. But if you say, I wanna double my business, I wanna 10X my business, the decisions you gotta make, the people you have to get around you, the skills you have to develop are a lot more pointed and a lot more specific when you set those goals. So even if you don't achieve them, what is the saying, shoot for the stars, land on the moon? The yeah. person that you become by chasing those goals is, I mean, that's reward enough. Leanne, Absolutely. thank you so much for being on. I got a lot out of this. I feel like we need to do it again because this was already over an hour and I feel like we could have talked for another hour, but I really appreciate you and I look forward to everything that you're going to do. Thank you so much. I appreciate for the, the opportunity to be a guest and, and just the conversation. Thank you for acting as my big uh, lofty dreams translator and putting it into what I was saying into more actionable words. So I, I super appreciate you and this conversation. Beautiful. All right, everybody. We'll see you in the next one. Music.